Thanks, uh, Pastor. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I think uh, not only a recycled uh, elder, but also a recycled preacher. <laughs> I think uh, the last time I spoke probably more than a year ago. Uh, but it's good to be back, and uh, it's a privilege uh, for me to preach and uh, to kick off, actually, uh, this next series of sermons, which are on Deuteronomy. Um, this is a wonderful book, actually, uh, Deuteronomy, and I'm sure some of you would know that it is one of the favorite uh, of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, he quoted a lot from the book, and uh, he quoted from the book uh, during uh, his temptations in the wilderness. Now, this book was written by Moses. This is the last of the five books of what we call the Pentateuch. And uh, it really unveils God's heart uh, for his people. And the context for the unveiling of God's heart for his people was the need for Moses to have the people continue to obey the Lord and to remain faithful to him. And I think this is the permanent uh, value of this book of uh, Deuteronomy because it gives us a deeper insight into God's heart uh, for his people. And so in a sense, we are on really sacred ground because we are seeing for the first time, if you go through the entire five books of the Pentateuch, we are seeing for the first time God's heart for his people opened up, as it were. And you know, if we humble ourselves if we listen to and we uh, read this book, uh, I think we will be transformed and we will be more obedient and more faithful. And then we will experience the kind of life that God wants us uh, to experience. So let me begin. Deuteronomy is basically Moses' farewell words to this new generation of Israelites they are now poised on the threshold of entering Canaan, on the east side of the Jordan River. Now, the previous generation of fighting men, they've all died because of disobedience. Only Joshua and Caleb uh, were left. So it's basically a collection of sermons by, Mo uh, by Moses to the children of Israel for the very specific purpose of encouraging them to obey to go in to Canaan, take possession of the land, and then once they are there, to remain faithful to the Lord. So it is a call to obedience and a call to faithfulness. Now there are two challenges facing this new generation. The first, they are now on the east side of the Jordan River. The first question is, will they go into Canaan? The previous generation refused to go in. They were afraid. They didn't trust enough. Now, this new generation, will they make the same mistake or not? This is no small matter for the new generation. You realize that by this time, more than 38 years have passed since the old generation first wanted to go into Canaan. And so the challenge of going to Canaan to conquer the land, to face their enemies, would actually be greater because the enemies would have 38 years now, more than 38 years, to prepare. The cities will probably be more fortified, more difficult to conquer. So, will they go in or not? The second 
challenge for the people on the east side of Jordan is after they go in, even if they will go in, will they continue to remain faithful to the Lord? Now Moses knew that he was going to die. He was not going to go in with the people to Israel anymore. So these are the last words of a great man of God, a man whom God himself described as his own friend, who speaks to God face to face. And this is a leader who has led his people for more than 38 years now. And these words then reveal what was deepest in Moses' heart, and that was his concern for his people. Will they remain faithful? Will they obey and go in and take the land? So, and in the process of motivating the people to go in and to remain faithful, he then reveals God's heart so that this becomes the motivation for the people to obey and to remain faithful. And in the process, this gives us a very new and profound understanding of God. So what does Deuteronomy reveal about God? What lessons can we learn? So today, we want to run through the entire span of Deuteronomy. So if you have a Bible, turn to Deuteronomy and you can follow along because we will go through a few of these verses quite quickly. The first point is that God wants a better life for us. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 23, He brought us out from there, that's from Egypt. He brought us out from there that He might bring us in, into the land of Canaan, the land that He swore to our fathers. You see, God did not just bring the Israelites out of Egypt and then leave them to fend for themselves. In the same way, we ourselves were brought out of slavery, out of sin and death, into something, into an inheritance of life, and a life of sonship in the Lord Jesus Christ. The whole Romans chapter 8 talks about this. Romans 8 chapter 1 says, There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You see, we were set free from the law of sin and death into something new, life. Romans 8.15 says, You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. You see, God has set us free from this slavery, from this death, into something fantastic, which is life, which is inheritance, as co-heirs, as children of God. And the wonderful thing about this is that we can begin to experience this life here, now. We don't have to wait until we die and go to heaven to experience that life. We can experience that life in part here, now, on this side of eternity. That's why if you read the whole Romans 8, go back and read it. It is, it is really the 
Paul's thesis of what our salvation is all about, you read words like, there is now no condemnation, no more condemnation now. We have been set free. You have received the spirit of adoption. We are children of God. You don't have to wait until later. Now, this is the life that God has brought for us as a result of our being free from slavery. So what is this life, this better life that God wants for us? And there are all those verses there, and they are all in your notes. And you can go back and just, you know, enjoy these verses and refresh yourself with this. But let me just go through them quickly. Ephesians chapter 3.19, Paul prays for the Ephesians that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. That we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now let's pause for a moment here, all right? You and I can be filled with the fullness of God. Wow! Isn't that a wow? You can be filled with the fullness of God now. We can experience and reflect the fullness of God in our lives. That is what God meant for us. Ephesians 1.13, Paul says that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places so that you can be holy and blameless before him. All spiritual blessings to help us grow in holiness. That's complete sanctification. That can be your experience now. Colossians chapter 1, 9 and 10. Paul again prays that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will. That's guidance, spiritual guidance. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. That means experiencing God's favor, bearing fruit in every good work, fruitful in our lives, increasing in the knowledge of God. That's deeper knowledge of God. My friends, this is the spiritual Canaan that God wants to bring us to. That God has delivered us from slavery and sin and death into. This is the spiritual Canaan. If I can summarize it, it's like this. Imagine being filled with the fullness of God, enjoying every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places right here on earth, knowing what God wants of us, that spiritual guidance, and having his wisdom and understanding to navigate through all the complexities of life, walking in a manner fully pleasing to the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work, growing not in our knowledge of God. That, my friend, is the life God wants for you. This is the life that God intended for us. This is what we've been brought out of slavery for. This is what Christ went to the cross for, to give us this inheritance, this life, this experience of sonship, of being co-heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But make no mistake about this, this is not something we can achieve for ourselves. This is what God is going to do for us. Same thing as what it was for the Israelites. It was God who was going to lead them into Canaan. It was God who was going to defeat their enemies for them. It was God who was going to bless them with rain, with to multiply their crops and their harvest. God was going to do all that for them. But there was a requirement. And the requirement is set forth in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 to 13. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to that. And this is the lesson. And this is the second point. That we will experience this better life when we learn to obey and to trust Him. That was the problem with the earlier generation. They refused to trust and they refused to obey. The basic requirement is set out in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 to 13. What does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God? to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve him, to, love, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving to you today for your own good. So what God expected of the Israelites was this, loving obedience. Not the kind of obedience motivated by fear. If I don't do it, God's going to punish me. No. But the kind of obedience that is motivated by love for God. Similarly, what does God require of us? Same thing. Loving obedience. And this is what Jesus summarized the entire law into this. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and Jesus himself said, right, in John chapter 14, verse 21, that love is always associated with obedience. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. John chapter 14, verse 21. So what God requires of us is this, that we give ourselves fully to him with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength. Not out of compulsion, not out of fear, but out of love. Now, how did Moses then motivate the people to loving obedience, to this kind of obedience? And this is where this wonderful thing, he opened up God's heart for them. He revealed God's heart of love for them. Now, understand how profound and revolutionary this truth is. This truth that God loves His people. Now, for us, you know, we have been basking in the love of God all our lives. But for that generation, something totally new. It was foreign to the religions of the day during Moses' time. And even for the Israelites, this was a new revelation. The word love occurs only once in Exodus, once in Leviticus, the first five books of the Bible. 
And even then, the word love was used more to describe the love of man rather than God's love. But when it comes to Deuteronomy, everything changes. Campbell Morgan, one of the uh, commentators and authors, wrote, the supreme and overwhelming message of Deuteronomy is that of God's love. So therefore, when we, when we read Deuteronomy, when we go through this book, we must read it through the lens of that foundational truth that God loves his people. And this love is explicitly expressed in all five sections of Deuteronomy. Now, there are many ways to, to divide up Deuteronomy. We're not going to do that, but you can divide it into five sections. The first section is a review of history from Deuteronomy chapter 1 to 4. And the summary of that section is given in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 37. And it reads, And because he loved your fathers. You see, it's so explicit. Never before in the first four books of the Pentateuch, now suddenly God opens up his heart, or Moses opens up God's heart for his people. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you this land for an inheritance. This is the love of God explicitly expressed at the end of this review of how God dealt with his people. And then at the end he says, Therefore, because of my love, therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments. The second section is from Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 26. Deuteronomy chapter 5 to chapter 26. And here, it is a review of all the laws and stipulations. And you look at it, at first glance, you think, wow, there's so many things to obey, so many laws. But the purpose for these laws is given in chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 3. Bottom line, it is for your own good. These laws are good for you. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 3 says, Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do these, all these laws and stipulations, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord your God, as the Lord, the God of your fathers has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. It was for their own good. And then it goes on to explicitly express God's love again. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6 to 8. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. This is why I'm giving you these laws. Because you are a people holy to the Lord. The Lord has chosen you to be a people, to be his treasured possession. How explicit can you get you know, to, to convey how precious his people are? Out of all the peoples of the face of the earth, God chose them. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. In fact, you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loves you. And this Deuteronomy chapter 7, 6 to 8 is taken up 
by Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And I think most of us quite know that. You are a chosen people applying now to the church. What was applied to Israel now applied to the church. Same kind of language. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, a treasured possession. That's what the church is. The third section is from Deuteronomy chapter 27 to 31. And this describes the setting up of physical reminders of the consequences of disobedience and of obedience. You see, they set up two mountains, right? One mountain, Mount Ebal, where the curses are to be read if they disobey. And the other mountain, Gerizim, where the mountain of blessing, where the blessings uh, of the consequence of obedience are read out. But you know, on the mountain of cursing, they were to build an altar and to sacrifice for the atonement of sin. And there the Israelites were supposed to bring their sacrifices and to eat the fellowship offerings and specifically stated in the presence of the Lord on the mountain of cursing, rejoicing with one another and with the Lord. And what that tells us is that God's love can be experienced and fellowship can be restored even in our disobedience. God's love can turn supposedly cursings into blessings. The fourth section of the whole book of Deuteronomy in Deuteronomy chapter 32 is essentially a song composed by Moses called the Song of Moses. Here, the unfaithfulness of the people was prophesied. That means Moses knew that when the people went into the land, they would become unfaithful. Here, it starts by reminding the people that God is a faithful God. And then Moses goes on to sing about how God has shown loving kindness and faithfulness to a people despite their unfaithfulness. He portrays God as a faithful father who created them and the Israelites as unfaithful and senseless children. And yet the father still loves them and shows compassion on them. So explicit. And the final section is the blessings of Moses to the tribes. Deuteronomy chapter 33 and then 34 is description of the death of Moses. And again, right at the start of Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 3, it says, Surely, surely it is you who love the people. Or as another version says, yes, he loved his people. And the blessings are all uh, an expression of God's desire to bless them because of his love for them. I think an apt summary of the entire book as we went through very quickly showing the explicit expression the expression of God's love for them is this, that all God's interactions with his people, including us, are grounded in his love for them. In other words, there is nothing that God does in his interactions with us 
that is not motivated by his love for us. Because God is love. That's his nature. Now remember the context for the unveiling of God's heart for his people, this heart of love for his people. It is so that we will trust him and we will obey him and we will want to fully offer ourselves to him so that we can experience the better life that God wants for us. And therefore, this is the third point. That God's love is therefore the motivation for us to obey and remain faithful to him. And therefore, the deeper our understanding and experience of God's love, the more faithful and obedient we will be. There is power in God's love. God's love constrains us to love him in return. John says in John chapter 4, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. God's love, then, is the key to spiritual power and satisfaction. Power to obey, strength to obey, and satisfaction in God so that we will remain faithful to him. We won't go seeking after other gods to satisfy ourselves because we are totally satisfied by God's love in our lives. <clears throat> in Ephesians chapter 3, in verse 16 to 19, Paul relates spiritual power to satisfaction in God's love. Here Paul prays that God may bring to bear all his riches in glory to strengthen us with power in our inner being. That's spiritual power. So, God, so Paul prays that God would bring to bear all spiritual blessings, all spiritual riches, give to us so that we will have spiritual power. And then he goes on to relate spiritual power to being rooted and grounded in love. Being rooted and grounded in love is to draw strength, to draw power, to draw nourishment and satisfaction from God's love. Being rooted and grounded in love, he goes on to say, is to comprehend the, the breadth, the length, the height, the depth of God's love and to know, which is to experience, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. In other words, it is to understand with our minds and experience the reality of God's love in our lives. And, the, and what is the result of being rooted and grounded in God's love? It is that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is spiritual contentment. That is the spiritual Canaan that God wants to lead us to, being filled with the fullness of God who is love. Moses wrote one psalm, and that psalm is probably written during the time of his wilderness. So that psalm should really be read as we do Deuteronomy, as we read through Exodus perhaps. And that is Psalm 90. And Moses understood at the end of his life what real satisfaction is all about. 
He says in Psalm 90, verse 14, Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all the days of our lives. That is the only thing that will really satisfy you and me. Nothing else can satisfy like the steadfast love of the Lord. This is a wonderful word, steadfast love of the Lord, or the loving kindness of the Lord. That is what Psalm 89 verse 1, uh, Kevin read to us this morning. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord every day, every morning. That's loving kindness. When we understand and experience that, we will have the power and the strength to obey, and we will gain for ourselves a deep sense of satisfaction that will cause us to rejoice and be glad all the days of our lives. So the question is, how can we grow deeper in our understanding and experience of God's love? First, we remind ourselves, one another, of God's love and faithfulness. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9, take care, take care and keep your soul diligently. That means you've got to put effort into it. You've got to take care. You've got to put effort into it. Diligent. You've got to be diligent about this. Lest you forget the things your eyes have seen and lest you depart from your heart all the days of your life. Let these things depart. So in other words, we have to constantly remind ourselves of God's goodness. And that is why this morning we celebrate 16 baptisms. Fantastic. And you should read all the testimonies of how God has shown his love to each one of us and to those who are new believers or even have been believers for a long time. We need to remember that the default in our lives, and we need to recognize this as our weakness, not just the weakness of the Israelites, our own weakness, that we are forgetful people. That's the default. You don't make the effort, you don't be diligent, you don't take care, you will forget. We have a tendency to forget God's blessings. Worse. And, and that's why if you read through Deuteronomy, very, very frequent. This is a recurring theme. Don't forget, lest you forget. Don't forget. Many, many verses. All through Deuteronomy. This is our default. So let's take care. Always reflect every morning, every day, every opportunity you have. Thank the Lord for what he has given you. Thank the Lord for your life. We have a tendency to forget, but not only that, worse, we have a tendency not only to forget, but to wrongly ascribe blessings to our own strength, whether we say it or not. And that's why Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 17 says, Lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. Sometimes we don't say it, right? None of us will say, my power and my might and my hand have gotten me this wealth. None of us will dare say it. But our actions say it otherwise, right? Because we forget. We think that all these things that we have in our lives, 
come from us and therefore we own them and therefore we have the right to use it as we wish. No, we don't. All that we have belongs to the Lord. That is what this verse says. Beware lest you forget that it is the Lord who gives you the power to get your wealth. So all that you have, all that you are, your entire life, you owe to the Lord. So the antidote of not forgetting, of not ascribing things to ourselves, is constantly give thanks, whether privately or in the community of God's people. And every time we give thanks, every time we celebrate the God's, God's love in our lives, we remind one another of God's love. So we can make this a habit. Second thing that we can do to grow deeper in our understanding of God's love is that we should reflect God's love to one another. How? By being kind to one another. I think we can help one another experience God's love in a deeper way by being kind to one another. There's this wonderful word in Deuteronomy that I just spoke about. That is steadfast love or loving kindness. And it's used in many, many parts of the Old Testament, including Psalm 89 verse 1. And that's the loving kindness of God. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love. That's that word. In Hebrew, that word is hesed. That's a very, very special word. You know, kindness. What is kindness? Kindness is basically love in action. And, but God is more than kind. God is lovingly kind. To me, that's extravagant kindness flowing from an extravagant love. Someone illustrated it like that. When you're kind, it means you give bread to somebody who is hungry. Okay, that's kindness. Loving kindness means you also make sure you ask him, you want butter? You want jam? You want, what do you want with it? So that you, you can enjoy that bread a bit more. That's what loving kindness is. It goes beyond doing what is just necessary. God not only loves with his words, he demonstrated his extravagant love for us in this extravagant act of loving kindness by sending his only son, Jesus Christ, for us. He could have sent his chief angel, right, to save us. But he sent his only son. I think we need, therefore, to reflect this kind of kindness and a community that is kind to one another grows deeper in God's love. We can be kind to one another in words. We can be kind to one another in work, meeting one another's felt needs. I think a kinder community understands and grows deeper in God's love together. You know the, the problem with the Israelites? When they first came out of Egypt, what was the problem? They basically complained about everything. Not enough water, no food. And then when they came to Canaan, oh, we cannot do this. God, is, God brought us out here in the desert to kill us. God brought us to the shores of, uh, 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 to the threshold of Canaan to kill us because we cannot win over the enemies. 
This is a very cynical and critical spirit. And I think we've got to be careful with that. I wonder if things could have been different if instead of this cynical and critical spirit, this community had constantly reminded one another and reflected to one another God's love so that they can be more secure in God's love, so that they will not question God's intentions for them. God did not bring them to the desert to kill them. God did not bring them to Canaan to, to, to shame them or to kill them. God wanted to give them a better life. You see, when we become cynical and critical, we impoverish our spirits. Our spirits shrivel up. We shrink. We become malnourished and we cannot grow. So a community that is cynical and critical impoverishes the soul. If on the other hand, we feed our souls and our spirit on love, when we experience kindness and we give kindness, our spirits and our faith will soar. This is true for individuals and this is true for communities. Why? Because each one of us is made for love. That's why you listen to all the pop songs in the world. How majority of them is all about love. There's something in us that needs love. We were made to enjoy loving relationships with God and with one another. And we will never be satisfied until we experience that kind of love. So let me conclude. Paul has fantastic, has a great advice for us. Pursue love. In fact, it's not an advice. It's a command. Pursue love. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. It means make growing in love, growing deeper in love, an understanding of love, experiencing God's love, a priority. Constantly remind yourself how great God's love is for you and allow that love to transform you. This is the number one priority. Then he follows it up in the same verse, second part. Pursue love, then earnestly desire spiritual gifts. The spiritual gifts are desired so that we can express love. The spiritual gifts are for us so that we can serve others. The priority is like this. Pursue love, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. All right. Sometimes I think we may have reversed the order. We pursue spiritual gift and we kind of love. I just want to end with one story. And this is taken from a sermon that Haddon Robinson, a famous preacher, gave, referencing what Tim Keller, Tim Keller is another great author, and uh, he wrote this book, and I heartily recommend you to read, called The Prodigal God. Tim Keller's books are fantastic. And this illustrates, this story illustrates how experiencing God's grace can transform our lives. The title of the book, Prodigal God, is actually an interesting title. It is based, of course, on the story of the prodigal son. But he says, actually, it's not about the sons. It's not about the younger son or about the older son. It is about God. And he says, 
prodigal God because the word prodigal actually means reckless spendthrift. And he characterizes, quite bold of him, huh, to characterize God as a prodigal God because God is reckless with his gift of grace and his love. So you need to read the book to find out why he says that God is a prodigal God. He's reckless in his loving of us and his giving us grace. So let me read this story for you. This story is set in Vietnam. It's about a guy named Hai, H-A-I. He's a cyclo driver. Cycle driver is a rickshaw driver. And about Lan, a beautiful prostitute. Both have deep, unfulfilled desires. Hai, the rickshaw driver, is in love with this prostitute. But Lan lives in grinding poverty. And he longs, and she longs to live in this beautiful world where she works as a prostitute but never gets to spend the night. She hopes that to make enough money so that she can buy herself out of this, but instead her work as a prostitute brutalizes and enslaves her. Hai, the cyclo driver, enters a race rickshaw race and wins the top prize and with the money that he gets he buys the the privilege of spending the night with this prostitute in the hotel he pays for the night he pays for her fee then to everyone's shock he tells her he just wants to watch her sleep instead of using his power and his wealth to have sex with her he spends it to purchase a place for her for one night so that she can live in a normal world to fulfill her desire of belonging. Lan finds such grace deeply troubling at first, thinking that Hai has done this to control her. But when it becomes apparent that he's using his power to serve rather than to use her, it begins to transform her. And she found that it was impossible for her to return to a life of prostitution. So I think in a similar way, I think we Christians have been transformed by the love of Christ. As we accept how Christ has served us and died for us, even when we were unworthy of his love. Then Keller asked this question, why wouldn't you want to offer yourself to somebody like that? Selfless love destroys any mistrust we may have in our hearts towards God. God gave all of himself, even recklessly, to rescue us from slavery, to want to give us this life why wouldn't we want to offer ourselves fully, completely, totally to love him with all our hearts, with all our minds, with all our strength? Why wouldn't you want to offer yourselves to somebody, to this God who is like this? May you be encouraged and strengthened by God's love as you reflect on his reckless grace in your life. And after that, 
then go and leave a legacy of love so that others can follow. I know we have run out of time. <laughs> it's uh, 10.30. I know pastor says we need to go down and uh, witness the baptism. So let me just take this time and we just pray together and I'll lead you in a short time of response. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, you have created us to enjoy a relationship with you as our heavenly Father and with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. A relationship that is characterized by love, by trust, by obedience, by faithfulness. Relationships that will be deeply satisfying and transformational for us. And so as Paul prayed, Lord, we too pray for ourselves that you will give us the strength and wisdom to comprehend in our lives the breadth, the length, the height, the depth of your great love for us. And we pray that you will ground our lives and root our lives in this love so that we will not be wafted about by difficulties that may come our way, nor be distracted by the attractions of the world. Satisfy us every morning with your steadfast love so that we may rejoice and be glad all the days of our lives. Let me pause here for a moment and just give you that time to just come to God and to refresh yourself in God's love. What is God saying to you this morning? What is he telling you about how he loves you? And be refreshed in that love. I also want to give some time to those who have not experienced God's love. Oh, God loves you so much. He sent his son to die for you. And we have 16 people today who have experienced that love. And you can read their testimony but today, if you are here and you have not experienced that love, God is speaking to you and God wants you to experience that same love. The fact that you are here today is testimony of God's love to bring you here to tell you so God has that opportunity to speak to you His love, to tell you that you are beloved of God and He wants to have this life to give to you and this relationship that he wants you to enjoy this love that he has for you. And you can just pray a simple prayer like this. Heavenly Father, I thank you for bringing me here this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to hear how much you love me. I thank you that you have sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die for my sins so that I can begin this relationship of love with you. I accept the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I look forward to a journey, a life of love with you and with my fellow brothers and sisters here in PPH. You can pray that prayer, and you can begin to experience God's love for you. 
Heavenly Father, we confess that we are not where we, you want us to be. We have not trusted you enough. We have not loved you enough because we have not fully understood nor comprehended uh, the depth of your love for us. And so, Lord, as you refresh us this morning with your love, as we go through the entire book of Deuteronomy, I pray that you will root us and you will ground us afresh again in your love, so that we may have the strength to obey you and to remain faithful to you, so that we may leave a legacy of love and devotion to those who would come after us. This we pray in the name of our glorious Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave his life for us. Amen.